Hello and welcome to Build Momentum, a show where we explore thought leadership and education. I'm Sarah Williamson, the founder of SWPR Group. And I'm Katie Lash, the director of the East Central Educational Service Center. Together, we explore how to leverage key partners, your constituencies, and the media to authentically impact your organizations and the leaders who champion them. We can't wait to get started, so let's dive into today's show. All right, on today's episode, we have AJ Crable, the conservator. You're going to have to help me know what all that means. At DeSoto ISD, where during his guidance, the district improved from F ratings in academics, finance, and governance to B ratings. And as the governance director at CGCS, he previously served as deputy commissioner at Texas Education Agency. I want to learn more about that, too. And the board chair of Kansas City Public Schools. So welcome, AJ. Thanks to you both for having me. Yes. CGCS is Council of Great City Schools, right? Yeah. Just spelling that out. Okay, perfect. All right. Awesome. You have such an impressive resume. I would love for you to just Start from the beginning and share your background with our listeners about your journey in education. Well, essentially, I still do today the same thing I've done for a number of years, which falls largely into two different buckets. I spend a lot of my time working with individual schools or groups of schools to deploy student-led restorative practices. I can say more about that. And working with school board superintendents and their cabinets to deploy a student outcomes-focused approach to school board governance. And so between those two things, that takes up most of my time. But working directly with schools on how do we hand over more and more accountability for behavior and discipline in a building to the students themselves so they can create their own culture and climate and develop the skills necessary to engage in that work. And how do we provide school board members and superintendents the skills necessary to be intensely focused on improving student outcomes rather than what school boards often get caught up in, which is chasing the latest set of adult inputs. Uh, these, these adults want this, those adults want that. And it's easy to get so caught up on that that we lose track of that which matters most, the reason school systems exist, which is to actually improve outcomes for students. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think, so now you're more like consulting. So that path to, did you start the classroom first and then building level administration. What was that story? And then you're at the state. Tell me more about your, what did you even teach? Were you elementary? I got to know. Uh, actually, my classroom experience was middle school computer programming. I actually studied computer programming and was given an opportunity to go into one of the middle schools and teach sixth, seventh, and eighth graders how to make websites, essentially. And so HTML, JavaScript, basic things. And just really, really enjoy that experience. And then sometime later was given an opportunity to work with students in a more of an interventionist capacity and really working with students who were struggling through various things in terms of just how do we be with others in the same space and have it all work out. And so my particular passion has always been for working with what I call the little AJs, the students out there who have made a bunch of the decisions that maybe didn't want them to make, but trying to help schools figure out how do we turn those into learning opportunities? How do we take that and see it for what it could be, a chance for a little AJ to learn something, to develop a skill set that's really going to help them be successful later on in life? And then later on after that, 
just trying to be a conscientious parent and trying to figure out how to make sure that the children in my household were getting access to the education they deserve, wound up serving on my local school board. And then sometime after that, was asked to come to Texas to help lead the state education agency. And here we are now. Yeah, that's an impressive resume for sure. It sounds like I could use some of your help at home with my three boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that because my work around restorative practices in large part began as a personal journey of trying to figure out how to be a less awful parent. I know. <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm screwing up every day. But I always tell myself, at least I apologize, which my parents never apologize. Sorry, mom and dad, if you're listening to this pod. I don't think you are, but if you did. This saying sorry is so important. Like, hey, I'm sorry I snapped at you about this. And that's the well, starting and point. That's where I was. Is I really was disappointed with myself in how I would respond to some of the things that just made me want to, and instead of responding out of frustration, instead of responding out of anger, it's like, that's not actually who I want to be. That's not helpful to him. That's like, like, what is going on? Like, this isn't who I am, or at least it's, it's not who I thought I was. But I think this is part of the journey of parenting. Is it, for, At least for me, it revealed just how selfish and self-centered I truly become. That even the smallest you know, behavior that is aberrant was enough to send me in a tailspin. And, and really, it was realizing that I, in my frustration, will become so focused on retribution. You know, here's what you did wrong, and we're going to get the right punishment, and you know, we're going to give you what for. As opposed to what I feel like should be in my heart with any child is how do we create opportunity for frustration? How do we create the space in which you do, in fact, have to be fully responsible for your choices and the impact of those choices, and you have to repair whatever harm you created? These are non-negotiables. But how can that be the focus rather than retribution be the focus. And so it was that journey in part that really grounded me in this work as I brought it into serving schools in that way as well. Yeah, that kind of is a good segue to for the next question, which I'd love to learn more about some of your biggest lessons learned. You just shared some of them, but when it comes to sharing your story and leveraging your role as a thought leader in the space, because this is a podcast, obviously, about thought leaders in education. And so we want to give advice about what others can do, how they can look to elevate their role. And clearly, you've done a, an excellent job with that. Well, I don't know that I go that far. What I would say in terms of things that I'm working on, one of the things is I'm supporting education leaders in my own district or across the country that I spend a lot of time on is this idea of mindset, that how the world occurs for me has this powerful impact on how I wind up responding to the things that are occurring, that it's not actually a change in what happened that is driving my behavior. It's a change in how I see what happened, how I view it, and what meaning I assign to it that is driving my response to it. The example I often give is... I had teachers my senior year of high school who, upon realizing that I was homeless at the time, about recognizing a lot of the trouble that I had caused in previous classes or previous schools, really looked at me and said, you know what, little AJ is just trouble. He doesn't want to learn. He's just trouble. And in that mindset, anything that I would do, whether intentionally or not, to be disruptive, was seen through the lens of, look, I told you he's just trying to create trouble. And it inspires one particular set of adult behaviors. 
But at the exact same time, I had some other teachers who the mindset that they took is whatever I behaved, whatever way I behaved. And said, you know what? He really wants to learn. He really wants to get this material, but this is where he's at. That is where he wants to be. And there's just this gap and he doesn't know how to bridge that gap. And it's my responsibility as a teacher to get him over that gap. And that as a view of my behavior inspired a very different set of responses from those teachers. My behavior was the exact same in both situations. How I was showing up was the same. My knowledge and skills were the same. The knowledge and skills of the teacher was the same. But what caused me to flounder in one class and thrive in the other was nothing other than the mindset of the teacher. In one case, looking for an exit from relationship with me. In another case, looking for an entree into relationship with me. And so that's the view that I see is when, whether that's in the classroom or in the boardroom, a board that says, you know what, we can't do anything to make things better in the school system. You know, uh, we don't have enough money. We don't have the right kids. That's a mindset. It's a way of viewing the world. You take those exact same folks and invite them into viewing it in a different way instead of this deficit perspective of saying, you know what, we have the resources that we have. We have the students that we need. All that's required is for me to make changes in how I'm showing up, me to make changes in my adult behavior. But that begins with a mindset shift, looking for what is it that I can do? What's alive in my behavior that as I shift it can make a difference in the lives of our students? And again, that shift I've found to be incredibly powerful, whether it's in the classroom or in the boardroom. That's fantastic. Sarah, I was reflecting at the beginning, he was talking about he helps little AJs. And like for you, it might be in the literal sense. (laughs) For real, yeah. Sarah does have a son, AJ, in case y'all were curious about that joke. It was a good joke. I I pray for you that your AJ is not nearly as troublesome as I was. No, I have two (laughs) others that are much worse than my AJ. My uh, youngest right now is, yeah, much worse. I've heard the joy of twins is that they can conspire. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah, we both know about that for sure. Twin life. So... AJ, we know that you recently released a book called Great on Their Behalf, Why School Boards Fail, How Yours Can Be Effective. So tell us more about the impetus of that book. You you talked a little bit about like your consulting work now, but was it your work first that led to the book or did the book inform your consulting or all of the above? So really what happened with the book is I've been working with folks for quite some time and I've collected a bunch of stories. And so on one hand, the book was a great place to store a lot of those. Um, Don't worry, the names were changed to protect the guilty. So it's not like a tell-all memoir or something. But what really happened was, as I've been working with folks, you know, my personality can be a little bit prickly at times. So people say, hey, look, we love what you're saying. Is there a way we can get access to it without having to talk to you? Um, And I said, yeah, you know, I could write it all down and then you could have it in a book and you don't need to interact with me anymore. People's like, that's a good plan. Make that so. So uh, it is now available for folks so they can they can have the cake and eat it too. What's the feedback about the book so far? <laughs> Actually, that's been surprising. Probably the most common question I get is, hey, this story on page you know, 76, uh, is that my school board? Because it sounds like my school board. It's like, hey, look, I can neither confirm nor deny, my friends. You have to use your own judgment. to tell. In fact, I recently, there was a news article that came out a few weeks ago. It, the reporter mentions my book and says, oh, well, and A.J. Crable on this page of the book clearly is telling a story about our school board. It's like, oh, wait a minute, how do you know it's about your school board? But you know what? Maybe art imitates life. I don't know. All the stories are true, but I definitely omit the names. And so it's been fun to see people fill in the blanks with their own school system. <laughs> 
I think it just reveals that there clearly are some patterns, right? Like if it resonates with so many people, <laughs> then there's probably some pattern there. Yeah. No doubt. I'm curious your thoughts. Again, I feel like I might know how you answer this based on the beginning of this conversation, but singularly, what do you think is our system is an education reform? What I phrased that very poorly, but I think I'm going to know what you say. In education reform, what do you think will make the biggest impact in our country? Actually, this is pretty far away from school boards. So obviously, I just wrote a book about school boards, but it's actually not possible to be within the school system and any farther away from children than on the school board. Like they are literally from an organizational perspective, they are the furthest away from the classroom, the furthest away from children as you can possibly get and still be within the school system. And so there are valuable things that boards can contribute. And I certainly want to see more boards do that because even though they have a kind of a very small impact on each individual student, they have this large impact on the system overall. But that being said, that's not actually a question. What makes the most impact? Well, the only thing that matters is, are we actually improving what students know and are able to do? For that, we have to go to the other end of the organization, to the classroom. The, what happens in the boardroom echoes in the classroom, but what happens in the classroom, that's where it all happens. If there's any magic in public education, it's in the classroom. It's definitely not in the boardroom. And so the thing that matters most is what's the quality of instruction that students are experiencing day in and day out? If everything else is wrong and that's right, children are blessed. If everything else is right and that's wrong, children aren't going to get the blessings that they deserve. And so you've constantly got to be figuring out whether it's through my restorative practices work or through my governance work, constantly trying to identify what is it that we can be doing? How are we making sure that in all these other parts of the organization that they're contributing to students experiencing a higher quality of instruction tomorrow than they did yesterday? And so one of the things that frustrates me the profession and that I think could make a really huge difference is the esteem with which we hold teachers is significantly less than what is warranted. I feel like there's a time in at least my lifetime where teachers were definitely on a bit of a pedestal. And if the teacher said, this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing. And people weren't arguing with it and say, well, we're going to trust the educator. And that sense of trusting the educator it feels like in a lot of parts of our country that has died away. And in fact, I sometimes see school board meetings across the country and feel like there's almost this all-out attack on educators, is it, that we're not willing to trust their wisdom and their guidance. And so if I could wave a magic wand, I'd be looking for what are policies or what are strategies that we could engage in that really begin to restore the esteem of the profession, to elevate the esteem of the profession. I, I want us to get to the point where when young people are graduating and people say, hey, you know, what are you going to do after high school? Is it, well, you know, my test scores you know, were only good enough to get into med school or law school, but they weren't good enough to get me into teacher's school. And so I guess I'm going to be a, a doctor or a lawyer. What are you going to do? Well, I, my scores were only good enough to get me into engineering or get me into rocketry. So I'm going to try to be a rocket engineer, but I wasn't good enough to get into the teacher's college. Like when we get to this point where that is the level of esteem with which the profession is held, I think that has a meaningful, a meaningful impact on all of our children. All right. That's fantastic, AJ. I've heard you say something before. I wanted to dig into it a little bit more today. What do you consider is the difference between being focused on student outcomes versus adult inputs? Yeah, this is a really important distinction for school boards to make. And that's where it can be easy to get tripped up because this is a 
really critical governance distinction and less critical at the managerial level or at the school level, the classroom level. But it's a really important distinction for school boards to make. So the basic idea here is that the job of the school boards is to represent the vision and values of the community. Their job is to constantly be listening for the community's vision of what we want students to know and be able to do, adopting goals that describe here's what the community expects to see out of our school system, and then monitoring progress toward those goals. Constantly trying to figure out, are we actually producing the thing that is the community's vision for our children? And that is the board's role and the board's role alone. Nobody else in the organization has that role of saying, what is the community's vision and how are we making sure that at the totality of the organization that that is happening? Because that's a unique role of the board, it is incredibly dangerous for the board to begin substituting the idea of outcomes for students, what it is that students know and are able to do at the end of their journey with inputs by adults. What are the things that adults are doing or the resources or the strategies applied? So the difference here is imagine a school board is worried about the well-being of its African-American students and says, we notice that not nearly enough of African-American students are earning AP credit. And so the board says, okay, well, we know what we'll do. We will have a goal that says we want to increase the number of AP seats that are available to African-American students. On its surface, this sounds great. But even if you increase the number of seats for African-American students in AP, what does that not tell you? How well they're doing? Why? It tells you nothing about how well they're doing. It is super easy to move adult inputs by saying, hey, we made more seats available. It is something else to actually cause improvements in what students know and are able to do. The board that mistakenly focuses its time on the adult inputs We'll make those happen. Great. Yeah, we created a bunch of seats. Now more black kids are in, you know, victory. In declaring that victory, it'll be a moment when adults say, hey, we got the job done, when the reality for children might not have actually changed at all. This is why it's absolutely essential for the board not to get super excited about the adult inputs, not to get super excited about, oh, well, now we have the right book, so we're done here. Or now we have the right building, so we're done here. Now we have the right teachers that were done here and not be satisfied with any of the inputs, any of the resources that are applied at the beginning of the cycle. The board's unique role in the organization is it has to keep its eye on the prize. What are the results at the end of the cycle? What are the things that children actually know and are able to do when they leave our school system? This is why boards, when they errantly get focused on adult inputs, children suffer from that because then the goalpost is, did adults try hard? And when the answer is yes, then we wave the victory flag, even if little AJ hasn't learned anything. It's critical that boards instead be focused on the student outcomes. What is the evidence of what little AJ has learned and knows and is able to do? And only when that has improved can we declare any measure of victory. This is a difference between an, a board being intensely focused on adult inputs, which unfortunately is the status quo across the nation, as opposed to being focused on student outcomes, which is what we coach and what the book is all about. Oh, AJ, I have so many more questions about that topic that I want to pick your brain about. But as we leave off here, if you had one piece of advice for all educators, tell us the key to being a fantastic teacher. Well, if there's any coaching that I'd offer, it's the thing that teachers automatically do 
better than almost everybody else, certainly better than superintendents and school board members, which is they remember to be reflective in their practice. They're constantly going back. You know, Think of the coach after the game. They go back and they replay the footage of the game to figure out, okay, how did we do and where can we improve? Like Teachers just naturally gravitate to this work. And then the teachers I know are just pros at going back and replaying the video. But I would assign that particular task to everybody. I would assign it to not only all of our teachers, but all of our principals, not only our principals, but our superintendents and our school board members. Never be satisfied with the level of performance that I've brought to bear for children today. Constantly looking at what in the video as I replay it, where can I constantly be improving? And it's through that constant focus on continual improvement that we actually get a little bit more and a little bit more opportunity for our children every single day. It's when we as adults start to get super satisfied that what's possible for children gets a little bit less and a little bit less. And so this constant commitment to, I've got to be replaying the video of my leadership and figuring out what can I do to have my behavior more aligned with improvements in student outcomes tomorrow than it was yesterday. Amazing. I would also add parents to that mix. As parents, we also need to be thinking about how we can improve. Yeah, that's what we you know, mentioned earlier is when I was mm-hmm. thinking about you know my discipline practices. Yeah, I would certainly you know, hope that my parenting by the time my last kid left the house was much better than my parenting <laughs> in the beginning. Of, yeah, continuous improvement. This is what our children deserve, regardless of what our role is in their lives. Yeah. Amazing. AJ, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yes. Where can our listeners learn more about you and also buy your book? Uh, If people are curious about the book, it's available wherever you buy books. It's everywhere. Um, You can learn more about it on the website, greatontheirbehalf.com. Or if people just want to chat it up or reflect on some of the things that we've talked about or some of the other issues around leadership that you all have discussed, feel free to shoot me an email, just aj at ajcrable.com, just aj at ajcrable.com. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. If you're looking for more of this thought leadership goodness for your organization, you're in the right place. Visit us at swpr-group.com to learn more about how we work with education organizations and their leaders, superintendents, and influencers to increase your impact. Again, that's swpr-group.com. Thanks for tuning in today, and we will see you next time on Build Momentum.